Welcome to the American Security Council Protecting Our Freedoms podcast. The mission of the American Security Council is to educate and engage American citizens on national security matters, economic security matters, and the need for moral leadership in the United States of America. Please enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Protecting Our Freedoms podcast. I am your host, Joy Vodrebeck. This is our third series on education and crisis featuring Dr. Karen Hiltz. Karen, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Uh, today, we will be discussing standards and curriculum. Do you have a say? Then we will discuss the cycles for curriculum adoption. And finally, we will share quotes from recently adopted curriculum. Uh, we've been discussing critical race theory mm -hmm. and how a lot of parents have been getting out to the school boards and voicing their opinion. Mm -hmm. We've also discussed mask mandates, which I understand is becoming an issue once again. And I am happy to find out that eight states have banned mask mandates, although there are a lot of different districts that are fighting back. And the last time you mentioned uh, a woman in Rhode Island who was actually being sued for questioning her child's curriculum. Mm -hmm. So I have found the link to that and put it on our website if you'd like to visit www.ascf.us. And while you're there, if you would like to donate or become a member, we are offering any $25 or more, the book, Mark Levin's American Marxism, to you for free. So Karen, can you expand a little on standards and curriculum for the K through 12. Okay, um, let's begin with stating that they are not the same. Uh, a lot of people confuse them in a variety of ways, but standards come from the state and curriculum comes from publishers. And so when publishers uh, get the notification from the state that uh, through a request for proposal, in most cases, or in many cases, then they will submit curriculum based on compliance with the standards that have been established by the state. And that's when they go into, um, that's when they have to understand and realize that there has to be alignment between the two. So that's, that's kind of, um, you know, the basics in a nutshell with regards to understanding that there are standards, and yes, there are curriculum, they must be aligned, but they come from different sources, so. Okay, thank you, and um, do we as parents, or just as concerned citizens, have any say in this curriculum? There again. <laughs> or standards, I guess. I, I well, with regards to standards, th when the states, when state departments of education, and either your, you know, state board or whatever, governing body you have within your state, they are a public entity and the public is allowed to participate. Now you would have to go to those governing bodies and in inquire with regards to what is the process to be included in reviewing these things and stuff because they don't just let anybody do it. Uh, for example, let me just state that we in Florida uh, are getting ready to go through the math review, but we're um, reviewing submissions from publishers 
for math adoption for next year. Okay, so they're beginning the process now, and they're looking for people to review the submissions that come in, and they have some criteria with which you qualify to be a reviewer. Okay, okay? so so from the state level, uh, they have some some criteria and qualifications and things, but here. Uh, in Indian River County, we have, um, we have a, a curriculum and instruction director who opens it up to not only the schools, but also to co interested community members. And that's where you need to find out with your local school board if they have some kind of community uh, input involvement. And I would venture to say if you don't, I would highly recommend that you push back and request that process and keep keep on until you do because it's very important for parents and community members to understand the curriculum and see the curriculum uh, that that children are being taught okay. for a variety of reasons. <laughs> yes, you, so you did jump ahead of me there. And oh, I'm sorry. No, no, you answered my question on how do they get involved. So technically okay. they would be need to be uh, qualified At to be part level. of that. Um, but is the average citizen that's um, interested allowed to sit in on that review and listen or? From what I understand here in Florida, um, and I don't qualify for, because I did submit my name, but I don't qualify because I have not taught math in the K-12 environment and I don't have a math degree. Um, so those are some things that they're looking for. And so I don't qualify, but from what I understand, they review the applications, they select people, they provide the information that was submitted from the publishers, and then there's a time frame with which these reviewers are to submit back to the state Department of Education their input, their comments, their suggestions, their recommendations. So um, from the state level, that's you know kind of the involvement, but there again, from the community, from the local level and stuff, I would highly encourage anybody who is concerned about the curriculum that children are being taught uh, in today's public schools that you get involved however you can, whether it be through you know uh, reviewing what your children are actually being taught or part of this review adoption review process if your um, board allows it. If your school board doesn't allow it, your local, then again, push to have that, encourage them to, or rec give them recommendations and suggestions on how it would be beneficial for um, community input. Okay, thank you very much, appreciate that. Um, next question, could you expand on the cycles for curriculum adoption for each, each subject? Okay. I've probably said this before, and I'll probably say it again, <laughs> but everything is state-driven. Okay, there are some commonalities across states, but you have to look at what the State uh, Department of Education authorizes, the processes that they deploy or employ, because they're not all the same. Um, in, and curriculum is not adopted nationally across the board. Uh, states have the choice to adopt new curriculum when they deem that it's necessary, or important or critical or whatever other adjective you'd like to use. Um, here in the state of Florida, we just finished 
adopting English language arts, ELA curriculum that became effective this month in our schools. The review process for math is starting as we speak and, and that uh, curriculum, whatever um, choice that the local school boards make, that will, the math curriculum, new math curriculum will be adopted next school year, so school year 22-23. And then w the following year, you will have the adoption of civics and history. So we just finished ELA, we're going into math, and then in a, a year from now, the process will begin for civics and history. So, so there are cycles. They don't adopt everything, every subject, you know, at one time. And remember also something that's important is that it's not just the curriculum that the teachers will use and what the children will use in the classroom or online or stuff, but it's also be aware of the books that they're bringing in because that is not necessarily part of the curriculum review because it's identified as supplemental okay. curriculum. Um, so be aware of some of the books that they're using in and some of the external uh, resources that are out there. There's a lot of online resources nowadays and parents need to be aware of those as well. Um, and each, there again, each state is different, each um, county is different, uh, and their adoption process and their usage process with regards to supplementals uh, may be a little bit different as well. So just, again, fair warning, please pay attention to the curriculum that your children uh, are, are being taught. And let me go back also and, and give a clarifying uh, statement or point about state standards. If you go on your Department of Education website and just Google, you know, uh, uh, curriculum standards and they'll come up in your search. And just start having a look through them and stuff. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that they're not real specific. So, for example, they may say um, they, your, the children must be able to know their um, ABCs by the end of first grade, for example. Okay, well, that's fair enough, mm -hmm. but how are they gonna learn their ABCs by the end of first grade? What methods and tools are going to be used? So, to me, it's important that children learn in a, in a, a you know, a, a, I would, I want to say progressive way, but I don't really want to say progressive, <laughs> but, but in, a build, uh, in a building manner. So, you know, you start with your ABCs, you, uh, for in math, for example, you start with, you know, your ones, then you go to your tens, then you go to your hundreds, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So you're building upon that knowledge base. And there should be something, from my perspective, in the standards that help give guidance to how children some methods and tools on how children will accomplish meeting these standards and have some confidence level of ensuring that children are gaining the knowledge they need to go to that next level of learning. So, so these are some nuances that I don't know that a lot of people are necessarily thinking about or aware of. And, um, you know, it begins with what do the state standards say? So, you know, just just pay attention and have a look at some of that stuff as well, because it all 
it all comes down to um, what's being taught in the classroom. I can tell you, I, I'm not, because um, I'm trying to understand the whole process as a fairly new to the school system here, um, but my daughter took the language test last week okay. and now is taking the math test this week. So now this is measuring where she is at from kindergarten, I would suppose, since she just started the first grade. Okay. Will they base that on their review of curriculum for the following, you said 2023? Um, no, what, no. They're, what, okay. they're, what they do with regards to testing uh, when children first begin school is to um, evaluate their, or assess, I should say, their proficiency level. Okay. Are they proficient, are they below proficient, or are they above proficient? And that's the language um, that's used um, at the federal level as well as at the state level. And when you, when you hear about testing scores, mm -hmm. um, that's what they're talking about. How many students do we have that are proficient or above or below? Um, and, and those are the numbers that they keep looking at and stuff. And unfortunately, we have um, too many students who are not really proficient. Um, and, th and that's where you hear about the gap. For example, let me, let me just oh, yep. identify yep. A, few, uh, a few things for you. This, now this is the latest uh, National Assessment of Educational Progress and this is, reported, this is reported out by the U.S. Department of Education because the U.S. Department of Education is basically um, a data warehouse. Um, yeah, they provide a little bit of money through grants and, and special programs and things like that. But in the scheme of things, the federal money dollars are really sm quite small. But anyway, um, but anyway, they're a big data warehouse and you can get lots of um, data statistics and stuff from them. But for example, um, and this is interesting I think as well, for mathematics, the latest NAP scores show that uh, and when they when I say NAP scores, there's three years: the fourth grade, eighth grade, and twelfth grade. So in mathematics, at the fourth grade level, only forty percent tested were proficient or above. Okay, so where does that leave the other sixty percent? Okay, but now we go to the eighth grade, and they're thirty-three percent proficient wow. or above. So where that I mean that that's that's going down that's not that's not an upward trend that's a downward trend so that's concerning in itself and then we go to the 12th grade and 12th grade proficient or above is 24 percent wow so that is that should be alarming to all of us because one of the things that I continually say everywhere I go is the children of today are the leaders the politicians, the business mm -hmm. owners, mm -hmm. the community leaders of tomorrow, the doctors, the nurses. So how many of us really want someone who has a, uh, a, a, a level of reading capability that is, you know, in the lower 10%? I don't think any of us do. I think, no, I think no. we want our professionals and our workers and people who do things for us and we do things with to be able to read and write and do math um, at a, you know, at least a, a grade level, if not above, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. 
And let's, let's go ahead and, and identify reading. I mean, we go fourth grade 34%, eighth grade wow. 32%, um, 12th grade, we did go up uh, in the last testing to 36%. So that's, that's still good. That's good that it went up from eighth to 12th. However, we're in the 30 percentile mm. of proficient or above. And that literally to me is criminal joy. Mm. I mean, why are we graduating kids who, you know, 74% of them are not proficient. They're below proficiency mm -hmm. with regards to reading capability. And is that on a national basis? That's a, this is national okay. data, okay? Every state puts out their own data, and then every school district puts out their data too. So I don't want to sound like an alarmist, um, but we need, to, we need to analyze and we need to understand what this stuff means and why we are allowing children, why our schools are allowing children to graduate with proficiency performance such as this. And the last one, let me, let me this one is the real kicker. Um, U.S. history, fourth grade, 19% or proficient or above. Okay, we're going up to the eighth grade now, 14% oh. proficient or and then we get to the 12th grade and it's 11% oh, proficient horrible. or above. This is U.S. history. No wonder our education mm -hmm. system is in the state that mm -hmm. it's in. I just read an article this morning about a lady in Arizona who, a retired teacher, she's 91 years old, and she volunteers and goes into the public schools and teaches cursive writing. Her students, win competitions because apparently there's cursive writing competitions wow. out there and her students win writing competitions now one has to ask themselves at least i do why did we ever stop cursive writing I, to begin I, I with myself that too. because when we look at u.s history what are our founding documents written in cursive cursive i still write in cursive quite a bit is there a push to have students not do cursive so they cannot read our founding documents? I'm just throwing that out there as a question. Mm. But it's concerning to me mm -hmm. as, a, as an individual, as someone who is involved in education, and, and as someone who used to, to teach um, at the college level as well. It, it, this, is, this data is very concerning to me. So. Now, based on the proficiency level, like you mm -hmm. were talking about, so mm -hmm. at the end of the year, I assume they will retest my daughter, for instance, mm -hmm. on each of the subjects to see where she has progressed during yes. the year. Mm -hmm. And now, if there is not a progression, will they make them repeat the grade or do they move them on? Well, there's been a practice, and I don't know about every district okay. in every state, but there is a known practice out there that if they don't pass the end of year testing, I'll call it, um, that they will give them remediation Okay. and they will retest them until they are at a proficient level. And can they do this over the summer? If depends if on depends on the state, the school district. Um, there's, you know, variables there that I have no control over and that are not consistent. So you would have to check with your local um, school to see what um, what your options are. Okay. Okay. And I do I have another probably a little off top well I wouldn't say off topic, but so how does the um, Common Core fit in with the state level 
standards curriculum. Okay. Um, I'm, I have to admit, I am not an expert uh, by any stretch of the imagination on Common Core because I moved to Florida from Virginia. Okay. And um, Virginia is one of the four states that did not adopt Common Core standards. Oh, okay. 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 So I was not steeped in researching Common Core. But what I have learned since moving to Florida and, and being very involved here is that and we'll go down this road, <laughs> that critical race theory and social emotional learning is common core with a different title. It is a practice to ensure that all children are learning the same way in the same manner and, and, and students are able to pass a test. And so, so even though I can't speak specifically to Common Core, when Governor DeSantis was elected, that's one of the reasons why Florida has new um, uh, curriculum standards. Okay. Uh, they adopted new curriculum standards because when Governor DeSantis came into office, he directed the Department of Education to remove all Common Core in our public school system. Mm. Now, that's a massive thing because mm -hmm. Florida did adopt Common Core and it's ingrained for years, okay, in um, the curriculum. So removing it would be a huge leap for okay. publishers to have to go back and rewrite certain subjects, certain curriculum, certain grades, okay? Um, so, so there again, is it better to modify rather than eliminate and retitle, rename, I would say, yes, that's probably the way that we have gone. Because in my research and from what I've been doing and writing about is that um, this whole national, it, it started before um, the um, 2000 election when, and when uh, Bush became president, it started before then, but when Governor, when, uh, Governor Bush became President Bush, he administered or brought in No Child Left Behind. Tall, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And No Child Left Behind was what I consider the major push to federalize and nationalize education in mm. America. Now, as I've said before, education is not a federal level responsibility. It is a state and local responsibility. The 10th Amendment to the Constitution, federal constitution, gives states rights, okay? Nowhere in the U.S. Constitution do you see education as a role for the federal government, okay? So by implication or by omission, however you want to look at it, education is a state's right under the 10th Amendment. And that's where you will find language in constitutions is in state constitutions at, uh, for education. And I know I'm reiterating, but I can't stress this enough that each state has an article within their state constitution that is specifically titled education. And that's where you will find the parameters for that state, and then you go into their statutes or code, uh, which, which starts getting into the, the policy and the regulatory elements on how education will be administered throughout the state. Well, okay. I learned something because I didn't know each state had the right to decide whether they want to adopt the Common Core or not. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. So that makes me wonder why we even have a federal education. 
Maybe that's, that's another topic for another day. That's, that is a very good topic for another day. A lot to say about that one. <laughs> well, I'll move on to our final okay. topic then. Um, and I understand you have some quotes to share from recently adopted curriculum. Yes, we um, we have um, uh, here because we went just recently went through the English and language arts and. Of course, you hear and read a lot about uh, critical race theory mm -hmm. and and all this. And you know, school boards and superintendents around the country will tell you, well, we don't have critical race theory in our curriculum. Okay, well, those three words, critical race theory, you will not find. I don't believe in any curriculum. Now, I can't speak for all curriculums, but the curriculums that we have reviewed and are continuing to review, they do not have. Okay. critical race theory in them. But what they do have is culturally responsive teaching. Mm. What they do have is social and emotional learning. And those two are ways to frame discussions within the classroom with the students, okay? Now, you know, a lot of a lot of schools have uh, um, equity, uh, equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion. Okay, those sound like great words. We all want to, you know, we all want to have equality. We all want to have, you know, diversity because our communities are diverse, and and we do like to have discussion. I think we, as an American people, discussion and debate is is part of our DNA. Uh, DNA. I'm sorry, DNA, mm -hmm. and. Um, and so therefore, you know, we do like diversity. And then we want people to be inclusive. We want to bring people from different perspectives into the conversation. And so that we can, we can potentially make, um, a, come up with a solution that is more palatable for the majority. But remember, you're never gonna have a solution for all. There's always gonna be something that's not gonna work out. So, so these are things to consider. But before you go right oh, there, um, so critical race theory is a theory, mm -hmm. and yes. in our first episode we discussed that and the words that you just mentioned, um, emotional learning, we mentioned those as well back in the first podcast as to what to look for in the curriculum. Okay. Yes, we did. Okay, we've, I just wanted to done, verify yes. that was, so, um, sorry, continue No, please. no, no, that's okay. <laughs> so at a, at a speech that I recently gave um, a little further south in Florida, um, I provided some quotes <coughs> from the English language arts curriculum. And <coughs> this is from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, which is HMH curriculum. Uh, they're a publisher uh, and they do a lot in K-12. And I want to clearly state that this is for first and second graders, okay? Under create a culturally responsive environment, uh, it, it talks about enhanced differences. And in the first paragraph, it begins, in our diverse society, school should be a place where all children feel welcomed, appreciated, and encouraged. In turn, we should make it a priority to promote understanding across cultures and portray the contributions of different groups to the world today. Well, when I first read that, I thought, well, do children not feel welcomed and appreciated and respected? Uh, when they enter the school building, but you know, that's for another um, topic or conversation as well. But I think one of the things I wanted to hone in on this quote is that, yes, it's good to know about cultures, but I think in first and second grade, we need to learn about America 
and American culture mm -hmm. before we start building on that foundation to understand other cultures around the world. Mm -hmm. So we are Americans, we do live in America, um, and I think we need to understand that first. Then the second paragraph states, consider the following suggestions for promoting a culturally responsive, anti-bias environment for your classrooms. Teach the ways in which we are the same, point out judiciously and respectfully how each child is unique, emphasize that differences are to be celebrated, not glossed over, stay mindful of the fact that certain ways of behaving may have different meanings of different cultures, and discuss examples of what it means for children to be responsible, respectful, and tolerant citizens for their community. Now, on the surface, again, this doesn't seem to be too, too terribly bad or anything, but again, it's first and second graders. What first and second graders know what culturally responsive and anti-bias is to begin with? Okay, that's one question I have. Um, yes, differences are to be celebrated, but there again, let's teach them to be Americans. Let's teach them to understand American culture before we go into others. And this last one really gets me because it's asking them to have children learn to tolerate citizens. That's what stood out to me when he said that. Now, I don't want children to learn to tolerate anything. I want them to have an understanding and to be able to intelligently inform an opinion mm -hmm. and a decision. Mm -hmm. Yes, treat people with respect, but don't teach them to tolerate. Teach them, teach them to think and to understand and to know that they have choices, okay? Um, it continues, be mindful of gender considerations, reinforcing gender-neutral versions of common words, such as business person or firefighter. I don't know about you, Joy, but I was taught that, you know, there are businessmen and firemen, you know, but yes, anyway. Um, expose children to books and other learning resources that reflect their ethnicity, culture, family structure, or socioeconomic status. There again, I don't mean to be repetitive, but what first and second graders even know what socioeconomic status is? I'm sorry. Uh, when I was in first and second grade, understanding the finances of my parents was not on my priority <laughs> no, list, okay? Not. I just knew that it, you could write a check. If you don't have any money in the bank, just write a check, right? <laughs> that was my comprehension of <laughs> socioeconomics, okay? Um, educate children about the history, traditions, and contributions of various groups so that children gain an understanding of topics such as African and African-American history, Hispanic contributions to the United States, history of the Holocaust, and women's contributions to the United States. And then lastly, I want to just quote under follow best practices. They want teachers to consider their classroom setup and address what children see in the classroom and ask questions such as, are there works by authors of different races in the classroom library? Is the LGBT community represented? So there again, I go back to, we are talking and teaching first and second graders, and many of these topics, yes, they need to understand, they need to be aware, we need to have respect, but not at first and second grade. No, I, these I are not topics this, yeah. of discussion for, um, so there again, you know, the, this, this, is, this is part of the social and emotional learning aspect of it.
um, teaching children to learn via their emotions versus facts and um, academics. I, I often talk also about we're teaching children to have an emotional, not an academic IQ. And that is dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. And I believe that is one of the things that's leading to a lot of the behavioral issues that we're seeing today as well. So, so in your quotes there, mm -hmm. uh, what stood out was like tolerating and um, accepting. Mm -hmm. If we're teaching them at first and second grade to tolerate and accept, mm -hmm. then as they get older, they're probably not going to question as much. Is that what they're hoping for? <laughs> is that an assumption I guess I could make? Um, I, would, I would agree that that is exactly what they're not only hoping for, but expecting. Mm -hmm. um, they, want, they want children, people um, to go down. But, I mean, we've got this, we, we, we went away from, you know, children learning a variety of things in school. When I was in school, we had home ec and, mm -hmm. you know, gym so class that, yes. and, you know, shop and, mm -hmm. you know, home ec, um, auto repair, you know, things like that and stuff. And at one point in time, we got away from all that. Mm -hmm. And then everybody's on this track of college. And I'm sorry, but everybody is not equipped or has a desire even to go mm -hmm. to college. Um, so why are we forcing children to do things like mm -hmm. this? And this is all part of, I don't wanna, well, I will say the grander scheme, okay, of this no child left behind, one, one, measure, one way to measure, one way to teach, uh, one way to test, et cetera, et cetera. And we are failing, as you can see, the national test scores, mm -hmm. the latest ones, as you can see, we are failing as a nation, we are failing um, as, as a society, and we are not, uh, in my opinion, we are not teaching children to be able to compute math. Uh, kids, you go into, you go into a, you know, the general dollar store, the grocery store, whatever, and if they don't have their calculator mm -hmm. or register, tell yep. them what change to give back, they can't calculate mm -hmm. it today. And that is appalling. So it's things like that, the little things that we need to pay attention to. Um, yes, we do need to get down into the weeds um, when it comes to education and understanding what our kids are being taught. Definitely, yes, thank so. you. Thank you. <laughs> Anything else to add before we wrap up here today? I think I've probably said quite a bit today, <laughs> probably more than you That's expected. Okay. I had some questions myself. I have a better understanding now, especially yeah. of the Common Core and federal mm -hmm. versus state, so. Well, just remember that, uh, as I've mentioned uh, to other people, standards too often are written where you can drive a Mack truck through them. Um, we need to understand that standards need to be more um, um, more, more geared towards expectations and tools and methods and techniques to be utilized, at least that's my perspective anyway, so that we can truly uh, uh, encourage and, and, and work with children and guide them to be able to master. We want them to master subjects. We don't want them to just memorize um, and regurgitate on a test. Mm -hmm. So. And you made a good point earlier, too, and I will have to be paying attention because my child did mention that they have books already set that they learn throughout the year. So mm -hmm. I, I do not know what they are. I'm going to have to ask. Yes, yes, you will. 
Well, I appreciate you coming back on the podcast today. And uh, this is our third series, like I said, in Education in Crisis. And I hope we can continue the dialogue next month. Yes, we will. Thank you. All right. And um, all of our podcasts can be viewed on our website at www.ascf.us. They will link to YouTube and Rumble. And if you go on the YouTube, if you would please subscribe to our channel, um, comment and share. And if you like what you heard today, please consider donating or becoming a member of the American Security Council Foundation. Again, www.ascf.us. And if you donate or become a member of ASCF uh, for $25 or more, we will send you Mark Levin's book, American Marxism. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next time as we bring you the stories on protecting your freedoms.